With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, friends. It is Angie Austin along with good news gals Cindy Marsh and Monique Davis and also good news guy producer Dave. And we have a really cool story. But just before we start with the good news, anything working in, how's God working in your life, Monique? Anything going on? Monique is a mom of three girls who are exceptional athletes. Her husband's a former NFL football player, and they she fell in love with Colorado when uh, he was playing for the Broncos, and you decided this is where you guys wanted to be. And you grew up in the South, and you love it here. And he wanted to move back to Florida. And I was like, no way. I don't. I just, I, it was, at that time in my life, I was really um, searching for peace. Uh-huh. And he was just done playing football, which I was so happy for him to be done because it's a whole different arena of, it's like you're in this bubble that's not actually a part of the real world. Right. But then it's not real either. Right. So... And the pain and injuries. That yeah, pain, as injuries, well. and, you know, with him going through all of his stuff. And I, I we're both from the same small hometown. And I was just like, I, I, we can't move back home right now. And I was going through, you know, some stuff on my own. Because when he went into depression, it's, it's funny how God works. When he went into depression. After he left the NFL? After he left the NFL. Well, it started before. Um, during because I can remember when we were in Buffalo um, he had a few episodes and um, I didn't I didn't really understand what was going on and so um, all I wanted to, I was like you know well maybe he needs some space so I was like well the girls and I'll just go back to Colorado and you know when once the season is done you can just come and he was like if you leave me I'm going to retire and I'm like wait what I don't understand what what do you want like do you need space or do you need and he was like I don't need space I don't know what's going on but um it's not space that I need so that really forced me into like a, a, a really a time of prayer specifically about you know what was going on and where God was taking our family it was crazy and so he's in crisis he says if you leave he'll retire right away and then you turn to God in prayer and just like it's like weeks and weeks and months and months of praying about it but you know what he always asked God for um 10 years Oh, really? And, and that's what he did. And this was his, he, he always said, Lord, I just want to play 10 years. And once, like, on the cusp of the 10 years, I don't know, I guess it, it just started becoming like I'm coming towards the end. I could see, he put it as I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. 
So, um, and he felt his body like breaking went, down, breaking down. And, and when a person is, my grandparents raised me. So when a person is something is going on in their body, I learned from them, you know, they kind of act out and not that so much to say mean, but they're scared and they mm -hmm. don't really know what's mm -hmm. and, and Miss Cindy, you know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. being a nurse, Miss Cindy. So that's what his first reaction was fear. So it just made him not, not act mean, but it was just not the Andre that I was used to. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of like from there, it kind of, God kind of took us on the path that we're on now. It's it, been a journey, hasn't it? It has been a journey. Because he found out about his head injury. He found out about his head injury. CTE. And, and it explained um, why he was acting the way he would act. And so he said it was, it's like being a prisoner in your own body. Mm -hmm. and, and you can't really, you, you, you have no control. You don't. Wing. Well, and imagine, too, but you weren't just an athlete. You were one of the top athletes in the world to be an NFL football player. I mean, so to be that strong, that agile, that quick, that skilled, and then your body's hurt. So you go from the peak of the peak, the Mount Everest of sports, you're there at the top, and then you tumble down, you roll down the hill, and when you reach the bottom, you are beat up and you need over 10 surgeries and your brain is injured. And like and you're said trapped in, the, in that body, not the body you've ever had before. Not the body that could run and sprint and not catch the body, and jump. It, and Andre's not the body that could bench 500 pounds. Right. And that, you know, and he's yeah. not even 40. He's right around almost 40. Almost 40. But he's not even 40. So just, you know, trying to wrap his head around all that. And I would just tell him, Andre, I get it. But you, I'm your teammate right now. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I had to use football lingo because that's what clicked with him. I'm like, I'm in the trenches with you. It's the fourth down. I'm, I'm right here with you. So once he got that and that I understood, you know, what he was going through, um, it, it, we became more cohesive when it came to his care. And because he you got to understand Angie, when you tumble down, like you said, to the bottom, all of those people that you used to give money to, that you can no longer give money to, they want, they are nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. So with all of that coupled up on top of not having anybody there, it was like, I... I had, it was around the same time that Junior Seau killed himself, the kid from Kansas City. He shot himself in the parking lot um, after he had killed his girlfriend at home. And so can you imagine, I had a relative call me and was like, you need to leave. They were afraid for me and my, and I was like, I am not leaving him. Mm -mm. I, I am not leaving him. And all you can do for me right now is pray for me. Like, don't try and discourage me. Just pray that God gives me strength to get to, through that last through season this, of Buffalo. This time in this time in our lives. Yeah, even as it's gone on, and you know, and you've dealt with the head injury and the depression and the CTE and the surgeries and everything else. It's been a journey, and also reinventing yourselves because now you guys really are active in counseling and talking to other NFL players who've been 
injured and were also suffering. And Cindy, in a, you've had a head injury, and you've also reinvented yourself and come up with uh, new careers over the years. You're a nurse, but you've been a jewelry designer for Saks and Neiman Marcus. And we've talked to Beatrice about how she was a truck driver and a drill sergeant in the Army and a hairstylist, but she always wanted to be a writer and a speaker, which she's doing now. In, she's almost 60. And I, I think that's a perfect uh, um, entrance, um, entree into our good news story, because this is a woman who had a career very different from the NFL and jewelry designer for Neiman Marcus. But um, I am so impressed by what she's doing in her post-career years, right? Is that right, Dave? No, she's still has her career ongoing. Oh, so she's doing both. She does both at the same time, yes. Yeah, so she works at a high school every single day where she's known as Auntie Deborah, and she helps feed the students. <laughs> so she was a lunch lady known as Auntie Deborah, and but you never want the lunch lady arms because, you know, when you play bingo yeah, no, or bingo yeah. arms, bingo when you go means, bingo, right, right and yeah, they flap around. <laughs> yeah, bingo. Um, I don't want those. That's why I always wear uh, – Cindy knows I like to wear sleeves to the elbow. And then um, – so, yeah, I do. I, I like the sleeve to the elbow. Yeah, never going to have the bingo arm. And we if you do, can't, yeah, day. I went shopping with Cindy. I'm like, oh, no, I don't wear sleeveless. She goes, nope. Yeah, no, nope. no sleeveless. I'm not doing it. Uh, so uh, Auntie Deborah is the lunch lady, and they love her, so they call her Auntie Deborah. They love her, But yeah. she likes to cook on her free time for people who may not get a good meal from Auntie Deborah. Right, right. She oh, feels like she gets a lot. You, you can hear the emotion in her voice in the clip, but she feels like she gets a lot out of sharing food with people. And I can relate to that. I know my both of my uh, grandparents on my mom's side, they equated food with love. If we weren't eating oh, while we were yeah. there at their house, it meant we hate them. Yeah. And if, my, you know, my, and it was my like mother it just could be that way. I already have eaten four sandwiches, Nana. I just can't eat anymore. No. But uh, so, and I completely relate to that. But this woman who is not well off and she spends all of her own money to buy all this really fantastic food and she uses all of her time to cook it up and then she takes it and feeds homeless people hundreds and hundreds of homeless people every day after work after she's already fed all these high school students i love it finally tonight who doesn't love surprises here's steve hartman on the road okay what you want no matter what you order from school cafeteria worker deborah davis i have a caesar salad i have chicken patty chicken and rice every meal comes with a sweetie pie all right sweetie pie you're welcome auntie deborah as she's known here at hoover high school doles out a heaping helping of hospitality every lunch hour you're welcome sweetie and this is just her first course of kindness see y'all tomorrow after serving food all day i come out here after lunch, Deborah drives her beat-up 76 Chevy Malibu all over San Diego, looking for hungry homeless people. Hey, babe, how are you? Looks like she's okay. No, she's not. Deborah says she's never met a homeless person who wasn't starving for her home cooking. Come on, tell them over there to come on and eat. On this day, she served more than 50 multi-course meals. You got four carrot chicken and rice, collard greens, and smoked turkey. All at her own expense. Chicken, uh, barbecue ribs. Yeah. Are you broke? No. I took that as a yes. You're spending money you don't have. Yes, but. I, but you don't understand the joy that I get from feeding people. Tomorrow's spaghetti and meatballs, okay? Because Deborah is so selfless. Thank you for joining us. Recently, the school district invited her down to the auto shop, surprised her with friends and family, and some better wheels to deliver those meals. 
This 2014 Mazda 3 was refurbished by an auto body class in the district. But to Deborah, it was like mint. Look, I'm not used to a new car, y'all. She was so flabbergasted. What do I do? She didn't even know where to start. Literally. Oh, okay. <laughs> what does it mean to you that faculty, the staff, the kids all wanted you to have this gift? I'm making a difference in their life, you know? I was looking for my reward in heaven, and y'all gave me a little bit here on earth. <laughs> heaven on earth for a woman who has always had room in her heart. Yeah. Just now. Look at that. More trunk space. Three aluminum pants this size. I love her. I know. She's so full of her. And I love the hallelujah. I'm looking for a heaven on earth. Uh, my reward's in heaven. I got a little of that heaven on earth. Hallelujah. You can tell that she's like over the top and being around oh. her, there'd be a lot of energy. She reminded me of a Tracy Morgan character or something, yeah. just the way she sounded. But she's just so full of love and kindness, and, I think. I love and, that you know, story. those kids, I think there's, they, they act so cool in high school. But so many of them are hurting and broken and lonely. And for her to respond to them, uh, there you go, sweetie pie. I'll see you tomorrow. You know, and the, see you tomorrow. Like she's excited to see them. And that might be for a kid who's bullied in high school. The only friendly, encouraging, nice, I, you know, sweetie pie, excited to see you tomorrow face they see. Right. And that reminded me of my grandmother because <laughs> we, um, those soup pots in the wintertime and she would make big soup pots and my sisters and I we would have to walk them around to different neighborhoods and during the summertime um after my grandmother got us and she learned of our situation she started running um a summer program to give kids food because we told her you know when we lived with my mother that once school was done, we didn't know what we would eat. And so she took it upon herself, like in the neighborhoods and the projects and stuff. She, We would go deliver sandwiches to those kids during the summertime because when school is in, you know, lunch would be the only meal that they got, that free lunch at school. And then during the summertime, some of them wouldn't eat. And so... Um, that's something that she did, and it's just instilled. And the girls, they're always like, because we always stop and give homeless people whatever. If, if we, Even if it's just food, we don't have cash on us, we'll give them the food. And the girls are like, Mama, we should start a homeless shelter. I'm like, um, it's easier said than done, but maybe <laughs> one day we'll be able to. But I just think that's just what we are commissioned to do absolutely absolutely i just love deborah and i love her heart oh. i love how she shared her heart i love how she shared just what she is out there and uh, there was a short time in my life for a few years where i just was felt led and called to do something that i was uh gifted at uh, and that is cutting hair and i started a ministry for the street people here in denver and um, it turned in. You did that for to, years. I did it for eight years. Sheesh. But it turned into a major blessing. I received so much joy from that. I can't even explain the blessings. And I also know that I blessed 
And to this day, I'm sometimes driving down on Colfax or in some of the places. I used to work right off Colfax Open Door Ministries for quite a while. And I still see some of those people. And I don't even know if they recognize me, but I recognize them. And it's just a blessing, a blessing to be able to give back. And I'm, I, if anybody's listening out there, you know, I'm nothing special. I have a skill, and I, my skill was cutting hair. I love to cut hair. And um, I didn't want to do it as a business at the time. I was doing my jewelry business for Saks and Neiman's at the time and Susan G. Komen. But I wanted to still do it, so I started this ministry. But anybody, like Deborah is feeding people, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it came out of nowhere people needing this and, and applying my gift for cutting. I used to bring I used to bring my own extension cords. I used to stack the hymnal books up. They had an open church down there, um, right off Clark's is it Clarkson, I think, right by the post office there off Colfax. On Saturdays, they had the food line there. So I would put a chair in the parking lot. I'd run my extension cords. They could wash their hair in the sink at the church. I would stack the hymnal books up, and then I'd just have a piece of paper, and they'd write their name on a paper. And I'd have 20 people lined up. I'd cut hair until I got tired, until I couldn't do it anymore. But um, it was such a blessing. And I just made do. I brought the shampoo. I brought my own towels. I and I just kind of was like my little old. There's just you kid. by yourself. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. And and you always think like I know I do. You know it's it's something so small. Like I started. Andre is a very sentimental person. So um, I started writing um like stuff and hanging it on the walls getting it on canvas and hanging it on the walls around the house and um we had um family come in um two of his aunts i told you i shared that with you guys but um one of them read them and she was like um i really needed this and i'm thinking you know the vacation time away and she was like the stuff that you wrote and that you have written on your uh hanging on your walls and you think like it's so small but you don't realize just like the cutting hair how much of a blessing it could be to someone else like miss cindy going on there cutting homeless people hair that lets them know someone someone still cares about us yeah and they feel better and they feel about better. themselves and they're the 95% of the time, there was not, it's not like we had conversations or anything. They just kind of sat there and I would cut their hair. A lot of times, I wasn't looking for a thank you, but I, you know, sometimes I didn't get thank yous. It's just that's the space they were in. But other times, I, it was just beyond what the thank yous I would get. Just in one girl gave me probably all she had, and it was this plastic little black bracelet I could tell she thought it was so precious she was so taken her uh, she was in a fight the night before the girl had long hair she had bruises all over her face and um, her hair somebody had taken her hair on one side and cut it off to two inches mm. and she goes what can we do and she's like, not only has her pride hurt, but everything else of her is hurt. So I did the best I could to, I told her what I thought we should maybe do to make it look okay. When she looked in the mirror, she started crying. And she gave me her bracelet and she said, you know, it was like she hadn't looked in the mirror in like, 
I don't know, she told me a couple years she hadn't even looked in a mirror. I'd always show people what I did after I finished. And then she gave me this bracelet. And it was just a moment where you thought, wow, it's a gift. I feel so honored to be able to be even to have somebody help somebody feel better on in this space in mm-hmm. this time mm-hmm. you know the blessing was all mine but she equally had that but we all have things inside of us that and we can, can be, do forward it can be very simple my um son goes to a trainer and he has two sons who are right around 18 to 20 and they three of them and sometimes friends and then his brother so it'll be like the guy who's 40 the big bodybuilder and then the kids who are you know teens to 20s and they go out once, twice a week, pardon me. And I think they get 200 hamburgers. And it's like, you know, 100 and some bucks. And uh, then they deliver them to really difficult areas, very rough areas to homeless people. And it's twice a week, and they've been doing it for years. And they do it, you know, just religiously. And it's just hamburgers, and that's what they do. So they don't have to cook anything. All right, this is the good news. If you want to reach us, AngieAustinRadio.com. Shoot me a note. Good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670kltt.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. All right, Angie Austin here along with Adam. Adam is an ambassador with ARC, and when you shop at ARC, it helps the ambassadors. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps, and everything you donate helps. ARC is a tremendous benefit to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now, there's a Saturday sale. Most items half off. If I'm a senior, 55 and over, on Tuesdays, most items are half off. How do we find out about that? ARCthrift.org. How about if I want to donate? Where do I donate? 303-238-JANE. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need. Furniture, small, big. Medium. uh, Yep, absolutely. Uh, A small, big, medium. They'll bring the truck right on over. What's the number? 303-238-JANE. Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303-238-JANE. 303-238-JANE. ARCthrift.org. Does ARC make you feel special? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought so. You are special. ARCthrift.org. As are you, ma'am. As are you. Thank you. Do you love working for ARC? I love... Hi, it's Angie. Thanks so much for listening to the good news. If you like the good news program and you'd like to support us, we need to partner up with businesses to keep this show going. I'd really like to keep it on the air and I need advertisers in order to do that. And I'd love to partner with you and help you build your business or your website. Maybe you're a nonprofit and you'd like to do an interview and you'd like to donate to us so that we can help you get donations as well. AngieAustinRadio.com. AngieAustinRadio.com. Just click on contact me. I would love to partner up with you. I think this is a great program. We've been on the air for about seven years now, and I think a lot of people have gotten a ray of sunshine and some faith and even a little fun from this program. So if you'd like to support us, please go to AngieAustinRadio.com. We would like to help you build your business or nonprofit as well. AngieAustinRadio.com and click on contact. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to help you build your business. Welcome back to the good news. Well, interestingly enough, Ian Humphrey is still here because the ladies were debating after the good news gals. You know, they have some pull on the show. And so uh, Michelle <laughs> Michelle is friends with Ian. And Michelle has known Ian's wife, Katie, since like the fifth grade, since grade school. Uh, Jennifer is here. Jennifer's got her own story. Her husband diagnosed with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease 17 years ago. That's how I met her because I introduced him at a big event. And he's still alive. And then uh, you and I, Dawn 
Donna, uh, Donna Hetzler, another good news gal who has her own Christian ministry for women. We grew up with uh, siblings who uh, suffer from schizophrenia and had our own interesting upbringings uh, and throw that into the mix of the drugs and alcohol and abuse in my childhood home. So there was a potpourri of dysfunction. And Cindy, uh, Cindy is so uh, involved, uh, good news gal, um, in philanthropy and has such a wonderful life that it took me a couple of years to figure out Cindy had also overcome many of these childhood demons over the years. And I think that's what's so beautiful about this team of good news gals uh, is that we've many of us used our faith to really help transform our lives uh, or, our, you know, the Lord has transformed our lives. So we like to offer these stories of hope. And Ian, that's exactly what your story is. So we're going to go back to hearing Ian speak. So we've, we've already heard that when uh, he was um, born, he was born premature, that uh, water was, boiling water was poured on his mother, and she delivered him early. So he started off with a rough start being born a couple months premature. His mom was then suffering from pain and on painkillers. He got a hold of those painkillers when he was just you know, a little bit older than a toddler, and they took him away from his mother, and he was placed with Miss Alexander, who was a very abusive uh, foster home uh, mother, foster mother, and that his grandmother fought to get him back. Then he was with his grandmother, and his mother died then when Ian was 12. And so his mother and his grandmother obviously had a very uh, profound impact on him. But losing his mom at 12, uh, he started straying from the path they had laid for him, and he got in trouble and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. He did four. Now, um, one quick question, Ian. How long before we get back into your testimony and we hear you speaking again, how long were you in foster care with Miss Alexander, who also would tell you you're stupid and you were abused there? How long were you there? From three to nine. You were there wow. that long? Oh, I didn't know that when I heard your story. I thought it was a shorter period. So she really was able to help try to mold you. Yeah. So three to nine and then nine to 12, you got back in the care of your mother and grandmother. Yes. <clears throat> oh, so um, we're, we're going to pick your story up, set it up. You're, you've been sentenced, and you mentioned there was a little girl there uh, at, when you were sentenced uh, whose father, you said you'd almost taken his life, and she said you took my Superman away from me. Correct. And so set up where we're going to ta- pick up with your story here. So after she, I mean, the victim, they have a chance to, to speak. So she said those things, and I stood in the courtroom, and the judge looked at me and said the state of california finds you guilty of armed robbery and assault with a deadly weapon and sentences you to 15 years in prison and how old are you then when you go into prison 19 19 mm-hmm. we're hearing voices heard the voice of my foster mom saying you're stupid and you're gonna amount to nothing heard the voice of family members and friends of family that said that boy's gonna end up just like his father my father was a career criminal he died in prison i can remember laying there thinking to myself that this is where I'm going to die. But here's what happened that would change my life. Shortly after I arrived to that prison, there was an educator there. His name was Charles Lyles, six foot three, ex-Marine. And I don't know what it was about me, but every time he saw me, he'd say, Hey, Mr. Humphrey. And he had this big smile on his face, a smile that my kids would say, that's creepy. <laughs> but he'd smile and he'd say, Hey, Mr. Humphrey, how are you doing? He always called me Mr. Humphrey. He gave me that respect. He walked into my cell. He looked at me and he said, Mr. Humphrey, he says, prison doesn't have to be your life. He says, you can get out of here and you can do great things. 
he started to walk away. And before he walked out of my cell, he turned around one last time. And he says, Mr. Humphrey. I said, yes, sir. He says, I believe in you. And he walked out of my cell. And if he had continued to stand there, he would have seen the tears running down my face because no one had ever said that to me. But I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to make some changes and I'm going to change my life. And a little over four years after the day I originally collapsed and fell to the floor, I walked out of that prison on parole. That was over 18 years ago. I've never been back other than to mentor and help other people. But here's what I know. I know that when you've had a rough life, when you feel unwanted, I know that when you have hopes and dreams and when you have things that you can look forward to and when you have people in place that support you and push you, I know that that gives you a reason to live. It is a great day to be alive. And that's something that I haven't always said, but now it's something that I say to myself every single day at some point. If I'm having a great day or a bad day, that's something that I say. But what I also understand is that what my grandmother was thanking her higher power for each and every day was for the opportunity that she'd been given. And she never missed an opportunity to tell anyone that would listen, especially me, it's a great day to be alive. What are you thinking, your grandma? <laughs> Absolutely. Um... Yeah, the impact that she had, that she had on my life. Um, you know, the, the educator that was there at that right time for me, I believe people come into your life at oh, the right yeah. time. I don't, the ex-Marine. Yes. I don't know that, you know, not, there aren't a lot of things that happen like that that I would consider to be just an accident or, you know. But he was there in that prison. He was from Detroit, a rough part of Detroit. And... You know, I assume maybe that's what it was. He knew where I was from, but he never treated me how I felt. He never treated me how sometimes I felt I deserved to be treated less than mm. because I was a convicted felon. He always treated me like a man and he gave me, he always treated me with respect. And, you know, I, when he spoke those words to me, it's sad that that I have educators in my family, my, my wife's side of the family, they're, they're educators in my family. But it's sad that I had never heard those words. I believe in you? Yeah, hmm. until I was sitting in a prison cell. But they came at the right time for me. Because at that moment in prison, as I said in that video, I had heard many people told me that I was going to go to prison. And I believed in my heart that that was where I was going to die. Mm. And uh, that's sad. It's tragic that there are still people there that feel that way. Right. Who haven't, haven't ever been told that, you know, I believe in you. And just that indoctrination you receive from three to nine with your foster mom telling you you're stupid and all those things. I don't think people believe how, understand how powerful these labels are when people call, you know, label children things. Michelle, you said, and you're friends with Ian, you've known Ian's wife, Katie, since grade school. You said, uh, Michelle, that uh, that that part really hit you, the ex-Marine, the educator in prison telling Ian, I believe in you. Yeah, it did, because I feel that that was probably a pivotal time 
in Ian's development and in his change. And I think that a lot of times people just don't understand the powerful impact that their words and their beliefs about you can have on you. You know, often people end up becoming what people believe that they will become. Mm -hmm. That's true. And you know, this doesn't have to be and on all levels kids in school like that's the bad kid mm -hmm. they end up being the bad kid in school yep. everybody told them they're just gonna be what they've been told and they be, they believe these things um so i just think it's really uh powerful that somebody uh treated him with respect and treated him the way that he thought as if he was the person that he already believed that ian could become right you know i thought that was pretty fantastic um i don't know I love kids and mentoring people, mentoring the youth, and I know that they need that. They need to hear. They need to know that people believe in them. Absolutely. And I know that yeah. anything I've ever accomplished, it's always been because somebody has been there telling me they believe, that they believed in me. I didn't experience that those words until I met David. So we've talked about living in an unhealthy environment and I'm struggling right now with my sister going through emotional abuse and um, being told that she can't, that she's not good. So Ian, when you were talking, I, I made a lot of notes about how I can encourage my sister, but um, she is so beaten down by um, nobody wants you. Um, you're not loved. And um, I didn't hear I believe in you until I met David and David stood behind me and said, I believe that you can be a successful businesswoman. I believe that, you know, you can do this, that or the other. And it, it's life changing when mm -hmm. someone stands beside you like that. It's Absolutely. empowering. It really is. Yes. So words are so impactful and um, you're so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it was Harvard that did a study and they were growing two plants and one of the plants were, you know, talked nice, encouraging, uplifting words and the other one was cussed at and, you know, and it's a study, I mean, and the plant that was, you know, given those nice words grew and was amazing and the other one like was dead and I'm like, that doesn't tell you. Right. Producer right. David <laughs> talked about that the yeah, last time. Too long. Yeah. And so I bought flowers right after Mother's Day and then we had a hailstorm. And so they got obliviated, right? So I've been talking to them to see if it works. They're blooming. See, I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to see your rebloom. You are strong. You are gorgeous. <laughs> you know, I'm saying all bella in Italian. I'm doing all my stuff, and they're they are reblooming. Can you crazy. believe that? I know. Crazy. Uh, yeah. I'm it. curious too if um, forgiveness, because mm. sometimes I think um, the people who abuse us or label us as kids can still be given power over us uh, as adults and they can ruin our future if we don't forgive them because i feel like they hold the reins on our life if we harbor this unforgiveness in our hearts towards them then how do you ever achieve excel or move on i told the ladies it's like carrying around a backpack with rocks in it and whenever you forgive somebody it's like unloading a rock and then all of a sudden you're so light when you can let go of all of these past grievances and i i deserved uh, this anger towards my foster mom and um, you know i i've earned this and you don't know what i've been through um, because of this you know what she did to me i'm where i am and so i have a right to this anger and unforgiveness towards them. But I, I, I truly believe that I wouldn't have the life for my family that I have had I not been able to move through that forgiveness. And one of my brothers who was schizophrenic and uh, went in the military and ended up being murdered um, way before his time, 
um, he was uh, very violent and had issues with alcohol and addiction. And, uh, and my dad also very violent uh, when he was drinking. And when my dad called me six years ago, I could tell that I'd forgiven him when I heard his voice because I just, I could feel it. You know, I could feel the forgiveness. And with my brother as well, I mean, he physically harmed me, uh, kicked me in the face with, a com with combat boots, and I had to have three surgeries on my face in order to, like, rebuild that. And I have to say that I have no anger towards him, only empathy or kind of maybe a little bit of sadness that I feel he wasn't given the opportunities in life that I was given. But I feel if I would have drugged that anger uh, around um, uh, towards them that I wouldn't be able to, I was standing in my backyard just last week watching my six foot six athletic husband toss a ball to my son looking at our beautiful home and all the land we have. I live not far from you, Ian, actually. And um, I was thinking, how could this have become my life? Like how beautiful it is and that maybe I was given a better hand, but I feel that the Lord's um, ability that he put in me to forgive others, really that is kind of my secret, I think. Mm -hmm. So how did that work for you? How did, I mean, I, I hate your foster mom, just hearing your story, like, I hate her guts. But I know that if that I would have lived through that, that I would have had to have forgiven her, or you couldn't raise right. these four beautiful children and have this wonderful marriage you have now. Right. It, that has taken a lot of time for me. Because when I look back on my life, kind of how everything unfolded, I used to get very, very angry. I believe it. And then I would look at my dad. You know, there was just so many different components. My yeah. father was in prison when my mom had her accident. If he hadn't been in prison, I don't go to the foster care system. So I've got all these anger that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. But what I learned is, and this is through help with people that I've surrounded myself with, one being my wife, the most forgiving person that I know. But as long as I held on to that anger, I couldn't move forward, as you said. It prevented yeah, me from You're just like stuck. It's like stuck. cement shoes. Mm -hmm. And the other part of that is, and this is my belief, but as long as I held on to that anger for my father and for my foster mom, I felt as though I were dying still. It wasn't until I was able to let go and completely forgive them and to be able to discuss the things that have happened in my life that makes me, that gives me life. How'd you do it? You know, a lot of prayer. Um, my grandmother was, I guess, one of the most forgiving women that I ever knew. Even though my father struggled and he was in and out of prison and my grandmother knew some of the things that he had done, she never said a false word about him. She never said a bad word about him. She forgave him and she taught that. So forgiveness is something that that was instilled in us at a very young age. When you've gone through things, of course, it's not as easy as it sounds, but it's possible to do it, and it's necessary. <laughs> hmm. I agree. Necessary if you want to move on, right? Absolutely. Mm. So what do you think? Um, people that knew you and your brother you mentioned and you know your grandmother I'm assuming is no longer she's deceased yeah so how do you think she'd feel about did she get to see any of your success and your children and your wife you know my grandmother she met she 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 met my wife and she met some of our children 
at that time I was still kind of trying to get my bearings. So I was still, I wouldn't at that time have called myself successful when she passed. I was, I was doing well, I was doing okay, but I wasn't where I wanted to go. If she could see me now, and I can tell you that. Uh, she can. She does. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Sorry. It's my belief. Yep. Uh, absolutely. She's smiling. But she's shouting in heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll bet. And she's saying, that's my grandbaby. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom, too. And my mom, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, uh, for par parting words, what do you want to leave us with, Ian? Again, Ian Humphrey, uh, author of It's Not About the Knockdown. What, what do you want to leave us with? We have a minute. Well, I guess in one minute, the last thing that I would like to say is, you know, there are a lot of people, we never know what someone else has gone through in their life. And I believe that each and every last one of us, we have a story that can help to lift someone up. And that's the most important thing. When you've gone through something rough in your life, the best way to move forward is to reach back and help somebody else make it through their tough times. Amen. Good stuff, huh, Ooh, Michelle, your friend, yes. Ian? Yeah, killed it. <laughs> killed it. All right. yeah. Ian, your website? <laughs> is www.ianhumphrey.com. ianhumphrey.com. We'll be right back with the good news. Thank you, Ian. God bless you. Thank you for having me. There is so much fun stuff to do at the YMCA of the Rockies this summer, you're never going to want to leave. Come fill your days and nights with our exciting programs and entertaining activities. At YMCA Snow Mountain Ranch, we are celebrating our first summer at the Spruce Saddle Adventure Park, featuring a zip line, rock climbing, slack lines, and a pendulum swing, all part of a unique playground designed to ignite the spirit of even the youngest adventurers. The Spruce Saddle Adventure Park is located right next to our famous summer tube hill and our world-class dog park. YMCA has made Snow Mountain Ranch the place where the entire family can adventure together. YMCA Snow Mountain Ranch is the ideal family vacation located in a stunning environment that helps build healthy minds, bodies, and spirits for all. At YMCA of the Rockies, we love to provide real bonding experiences for families of all sizes. Go to snowmountainranch.org. Fill your summer with fun, exciting, and affordable family adventures at YMCA of the Rockies. Book your stay at snowmountainranch.org today. Welcome back. It's Angie. Well, you know I love good news. I mean, that's my big theme on the show, right? Uh, so let's talk about how to supercharge your business this summer. My husband, you've heard me talk many times, uh, did his uh, startup five years ago. Three years, didn't make any money, and now he's gone public. So, boy, talk about perseverance. But uh, supercharging a business is something that would be nice to do before the fourth year. And who better to help us than Ramon Ray? You may know him from uh, MSNBC, CNBC, Fox Business, and other programs. And he is a small business expert. Welcome, Ramon. Hey, Angie, thanks so much for having me. Congratulations on the husband's uh, company going public. Congratulations. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ramon, I'm telling you, I had 10 W-2s one year uh, because I took on so many extra jobs to support him. And I have to tell you, by year two, I was ready to throw in the towel. So I know how tough that I mean, throwing the towel is in. Come on, honey. I think we've given this mm -hmm. the best shot we could. So, yes, now that it has turned out to be a successful business, I'm thrilled. But I am telling you, these small business people, I admire them because it takes perseverance. It does indeed. I mean, listen, I started four companies, sold one as well, and wow. I think that it does take perseverance and uh, and, and a, a persistence and a continue one. I like to call it the hustle to succeed in business for sure. All right. So what are your top tips, Ramon, for supercharging a small business during, you know, the summer months are a little slower typically. 
Mm-hmm. Indeed, it is slower. You know, the kids are uh, away uh, at home, away from school. Uh, people are going on vacation. But a few things I would say. One, even though the summer's slow, focus on the on your customers. Every customer, Angie, is not away. Focus on delivering a great customer experience. Another thing I like to say is focus on your finances. We talked about finances to a degree with your, the launch of your husband's business. You know, are you selling the right thing to the right people at the right time? Look at your profit and loss. Another thing is your employees. All of your employees are not going on vacation during the summer months. What can you do to make sure that they are better employed? employees, that they're better trained. Uh, so those are a few things you can do in the summer months. Oh, and enhance your marketing, Angie. Marketing is a big, important part for business owners. All right. That's great advice. How about simple things that we can do to bring in new customers during the summer? I know it varies like business by business, but let's lure some in. What are some simple tips? Absolutely. One, send thank you cards to your customers. Oh, Say thanks good. for being a uh, thank you. Thanks for being a customer. Uh, point number two, I, I tell small business owners, Angie, going back to the customer experience, are your are you accepting the right credit card for your business? Uh, in the past, American Express, for example, has been maybe people have said high fees, difficult to work with. American Express has changed quite a bit. So I always tell merchants, make sure you're accepting the right card, and one of those cards should be American Express. Another thing is your marketing. There's a lot of things you can do, Angie, to test your marketing in different markets. And since the summer is slow, you can use it as a testing bed to get ready for the future. All right. And one thing I wanted to throw in there as um, an Amex customer, um, you know, because I use mine a lot, they give a lot of benefits to me. And so I do, that is my card of choice. So I actually am a little bit irritated when they won't take it. So as you put it, look into whether or not they've changed the way they deal with businesses for as a business, but also think about the customer and why they may want to use it. I think it's good to offer them the option. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that many small businesses may not know. Uh, studies show also that almost four, almost four times an American Express customer will spend more than other card holders. So, card holders. So as you said, Angie, it's not only for the customer coming in, we want to use the card that we want to use, but also the merchant. There's a lot of benefits to giving your customers wide choice in the credit cards that they're accepting. I agree. All right, so what should we look for? You mentioned finances. Um, uh, you know, as a small business owner, and I'm really a small business owner too because – I run my own radio shows per se, and so mm-hmm. it's a it's a, it's it's a challenging, you know, to do that. So, what do you look for when assessing finances? You specifically mentioned finances as is an important aspect. And hello, I mean that's why we're all doing this, right? <laughs> to make money, absolutely, Angie. So, a few things I would say. One. Are you selling the right thing to the right customer? What that means is you want to make sure each thing you're selling, Angie, you're not losing money. That's often a challenge with many businesses, especially those that are in the retail space. I think another thing is that are you spending the right time on the right products and services? Time is important, and time is equal to money. So if you're not spending your time right, in that case, you're also losing money. And I think the third thing is just to be careful of your balance sheet. You want to make sure that your debt ratio, your cash flow ratio, all these things are okay. So those three things I think I can talk about regarding finances for small business owners. Okay, Ramon, one other thing, too, kind of as a side note, I know you're an author as well, and uh, you've got a a book, Facebook Guide to Small Business Marketing. A lot of people are still kind of putting their toe in the water with, uh, you know, marketing via social media. Any tips you have um, on social media, specifically maybe Facebook for marketing? Absolutely. Four things I quickly say, Angie. I say one, it's called F-R-E-A, frequency, relevancy, engagement and analytics. So again, we could talk for hours about that, but that's kind of my four quick tips on that, frequency, relevancy, engagement, analytics. And the other tip I'll give is don't forget about your local customers. Whether you're using Facebook or American Express, a lot of programs for merchants to help them market locally as well. Focus on the local customer that's right in your back door. 
Excellent. Where do we go uh, for more info, Ramon? best place I'd suggest people go is optblue.com for more information on things we talked about. Thank you, Angie. Thank you, Ramon. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.